0: This is Business of Home, I'm Dennis Scully, and welcome to The Thursday Show. Later on, I'll be speaking to designer Kit Kemp about her new project, the Warren Street Hotel. But first, we're going to catch up on the news, including the newest Queer Eye cast member, houses' State of the Industry report, and why renovations are starting to feel outdated faster than ever. To do all that, I'm joined by Business of Home's managing editor, Haley Shunard. Hi, Haley.
1: Hi, Dennis. It's great to be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us. Unfortunately, our Fred, a little bit under the weather. And Haley, you've been so gracious to step in at the 11th hour and take his place.
1: It's great to be here. And it was great to listen to your conversation earlier this week with David Alhadaf from The Future Perfect. That was a great, great chat you guys had.
0: A really fun conversation. Such an interesting business that he's built over the years. Remarkable the way he launched the careers of so many early Brooklyn designers and, uh, and so many people who now are somewhat household names in the, in the design world. But he laments the fact that not everyone is uh, familiar with Future Perfect yet. So we have a ways to go to get that to be a household name. But hopefully that will happen soon.
1: Yeah, you're doing your part.
0: Exactly, getting them out there. That's what I feel. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump into the news. This podcast is sponsored by Leloy, which is celebrating its 20th anniversary this year with the debut of its best collection yet, the Heritage Collection. Two years in the making and requiring the invention of new craft techniques, the Heritage Collection creates a power-loomed rug that looks and feels like a true antique. Visit leloyrugs.com to learn more about Heritage and other new collections. That's l o l o i rugs.com. And follow them on Instagram and TikTok at Leloy Rugs. Every time we do a new project and something new comes up and we're like, oh, put that in our process.
1: I don't do a discovery call. It's like, you either want me or you don't in this industry where it's just like boom 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 people are coming at you subcontractors contractors vendors if you're going
0: to be an interior designer you are a salesperson if tomorrow the ultimate most wonderful claim came along that would be great but if it doesn't happen tomorrow i'm still going to keep working on the things that i have today and i'm happy with those things
2: hi i'm Caitlin peterson the editor-in-chief of business of home and the host of Trade
1: Tales. Every other week, I speak with a designer to explore the challenges, pivots, and perspective shifts that come with growing an interior design firm. We talk about how to get billing right and how to build trust, about the difficult clients and the difficult employees, about all of the ways that entrepreneurship will test you, and also, all of the ways that it will leave you inspired. To listen, search for Trade Tales wherever you get your podcasts.
0: And we're back. First up, some big news from the Fab Five, Haley.
1: Yeah, Queer Eye's newest cast member was announced this week. Jeremiah Brent will be serving as the show's interiors expert. He's replacing Bobby Burke, who announced in November that he would be leaving the series after season eight. Did we all see this one coming? What do you think, Dennis?
0: (laughs) Well, apparently some of the news organizations saw it coming a little bit, right? I feel like uh, Jeremiah's been been giving quotes and comments in the weeks leading up to all of this, saying, well, I'd certainly be open to it if it were to happen. But yeah. it seems like things leaked out. What did you What did you make of the announcement?
1: I think it, it makes so much sense. Um, he obviously, he's had a sh- another show on Netflix where he did something similar. It was a wedding spinoff um, called Say I Do, which was similar to Queer Eye. And he and his partner Nate have had so many different programs over the years where they did home renovations. So... I mean, he's very logical choice for this, charismatic and talented. So, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer on Netflix's part.
0: No, absolutely. You made an interesting point earlier when we were talking about how in the early days the characters were all relatively unknown people that came on the show. Obviously, Jeremiah Brent, very well known. Yeah. And also very advanced in in terms of his his career he's got a very successful design firm and uh, and projects at a very high level so this is a this is a really substantial choice i felt for the yeah. show. yeah
1: and he's not going to be um i guess intimidated or anything like that by the level of of fame or success that any of the other cast members have right because he has his own product lines he's had a number of television programs before this, so he can just show up on set and kind of you know, jump right in there and not be um, not be intimidated by the process where picking somebody who maybe was more unknown, which was kind of the spirit of the reboot originally, I feel like, um, wouldn't really make sense nine seasons in.
0: Yeah. He's also an incredibly empathetic person and highly sensitive. And I mean, I think for one of the things that the show is so known for is these really tender moments and these emotional reveals and and that just seems him all over do we feel that the show has a big impact on the world of design today or what's your sense of where people put this show in their minds
1: yeah that's a good question i i don't know aesthetically if it does but i also i do think that you do inherently become seen as an expert, right? Like, I don't know that this person in this role, that they have a lot of sway over consumer trends or that sort of a thing, but they certainly um, become a face for for the sector.
0: Yeah, it certainly seems that way. I think, again, he's such an established designer. I think it's going to be very interesting to see if that shifts somehow. Because so many people pay attention to what he's doing and, and many want to, and I get it, emulate him and his mm-hmm. success i wonder if this will bring heightened attention not only to the show itself but also to the work that gets done on the show yeah right it'll be it'll be interesting to see if that has a has a meaningful impact there it it seems such a busy time for him coming out with his new book the space that keeps you and uh, and he's he's just about to go around the country and do a big book tour and so he's uh He's got an awful lot going on our yes, jeremiah brent
1: very multifaceted
0: okay moving on we're going to talk about houses state of the industry report apparently interior designers are feeling quite bullish at the end of the year houses annual survey of architects designers contractors and landscape firms found that in general the residential sector was about 10 percent more optimistic about 2024 than it had been at the start of last year. And interior designers <laughs> seem the most optimistic with about 70% expecting a good or very good year. What do you make of that, Haley?
1: Well, the concept of putting a percentage on your optimism is also very funny to me. Just like, <laughs> I'm feeling 10% more optimistic than I was last year. But I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm curious Why? Like, if they got any intel onto why people are feeling that? Because I mean, we've seen labor availability is expected to get worse this year. Even though product and materials are, you know, more available than they were a few years ago, they're costing a lot more. And homeowners insurance premiums are going up. And it's an election year. There's a lot that would worry me personally. So I'm, I'm curious to know more about this. But I'm glad. I guess the designers feel like things are looking up.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting wondering where this optimism does come from. And uh, last year was such a challenging market in the home industry in general on so many different levels. I wonder as I as I somewhat joked in our year-end show, you know, perhaps that all gets completely turned on its head <laughs> and we end up having this wildly euphoric year where things can only get better from Existing home sales were the worst since 1995 last year. A whole range of numbers were the worst they've been in decades. And so maybe that's a reason for optimism. But often I also find that do designers really have an accurate read on New business in their pipeline versus where they are in completing projects.
1: Sure, yeah, that makes sense.
0: I wonder. I, sometimes when I talk to designers, they say, "Yes, I feel great now because I've got these two huge projects going on," but I forget that I don't have two more huge projects. I was, I was just looking at the financials for a big fabric company that also owns an interior design firm that I'm going to be talking to on for the show and. In that financial statement, was the fact that yes, the numbers can swing so dramatically at the design firm because uh, one year you'll have a whole bunch of projects that wrap up all in the same year and the numbers look great. And the next year the numbers fall dramatically because there aren't all these projects that are finishing up. So,
1: right. You don't have the pipeline there.
0: Yeah. Well, when when you talk to people, what, what's the mood and, and tenor from people that you reach out to?
1: Definitely a lot of people, you know, there's that kind of idea that an election year is, you know, that the first half of the year is really busy and then people kind of get nervous and they don't want to spend as much money. Clients don't want to spend as much money because, um, you know, things get a little uncertain. So I've heard that from a few designers that they're kind of hoping to um, pad out you know, Q1, Q2, and um, see see how the rest of the year goes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it it was interesting to see, specifically in the numbers, more than more than half of the businesses across the country were anticipating an increase in demand for their services, and uh, as you pointed out, labor availability is expected to to worsen. Although I've spoken to several people recently who have told me that. A, there's a lot more designers that are sending resumes now, and that is that traffic is moving the other way. It was so hard to hire people before. Now it seems like there are many more designers available, and also contractors. Wait for it, are returning phone calls and <laughs> even calling to to check in and and see about business. So, yeah. I, I wonder if that's also a sign that that they are going to be more available. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, Okay, moving on. Some home retailers came out with earnings this week, Haley.
1: They did. It's been a big week for stocks in the home sector. First, we had shares of Wayfair that went soaring 14.7% after the company reported a return to positive active customer growth after two years of decline. Um, and then shortly after that, Beyond Inc., which was formerly Overstock, reported a loss of $161 million. Despite that loss, its shares rose based on speculation that a new cycle could be beginning for the company.
0: So what do we make of all of that? It's a lot
1: to to wrap your head around, especially with Wayfair's mass layoffs last month. Their stock shot up 14.8% in pre-market trading after this news, Yeah, which had been at a three-month low. So kind of um, a turbulent few days, a lot of ups and downs there.
0: Well, I mean, I think and and I think our Warren made this clear in in covering both of these stories, but I think it's impossible for me to hear anything from Wayfair other than last year we did 12 billion dollars in revenues and still managed to lose, wait for it, 750 million dollars. What? You did what? I mean, how is that possible? Uh, And so that's striking in and of itself. And then with Beyond or the artist formerly known as Overstock <laughs> and formerly known as Bed Bath & Beyond, that just seems like a, a soap opera with all yeah. these different characters coming and going. And should we have gotten rid of Overstock? Maybe we want it back now. I don't know. And uh, television personality from The Prophet, uh, Mr. Lamonas <laughs> coming in yeah. and Right. And he's going to ride in and save the day. But interesting with Wayfair wondering, can this company meaningfully turn a corner? To your point, can they lay off enough staffers to bring those the overhead down and and, and to finally be able to meaningfully say that they are consistently profitable? They turned one profit one time (laughs) during covid at uh, at the biggest boom in in history and we'll we'll see if they can ever do it again, Haley.
1: And you mentioned earlier when we were chatting about this that they have this kind of ambitious retail plan in the works too despite yeah having opened one store ever. Despite having um, opened
0: one <laughs> store, Haley, they are very excited about retail in that they've opened one store. <laughs> Now, they did talk about the fact that, and I would love to know if you have any intel here, they did say that Paragold, which rarely comes up in conversation, despite me asking about it. Very rarely. Every five minutes, (laughs) right? But they almost never even mention the darn thing. But they said that that business is picking up meaningfully, and I want to hear more about that.
1: I honestly, it's to the point where I forget that they own (laughs) Paragold.
0: There you go. <laughs> so it's mentioned so little Haley yes. can't even remember.
1: I forgot. I'm are. like, oh, right. That's that's Wayfair. Oh. I mean, I feel like it's a platform or, you know, it's a, it's a resource that so many consumers do use. And it is just it's insane that they've never been able to. I mean, I think, like you said, they made a profit one time, um, which is just really wild because, yeah, I mean, they have I think they reported million active customers, um, and they still can't make a profit.
0: (laughs) No, and uh, listen, and there was a lot of talk about the fact that they were able to gain some new customers because they brought prices down so low, their average order value dropped yet again. You, You can't even make it up that their average order value could be as low as it is. It's just so curious, and they've had to pay so much for every darn customer that they' that they're getting that it's, um, it, it's really the, the scale of this business and how to really make it work uh, just seems incredibly challenging. And yet I talk to several analysts who cover the space who tell me any minute, they, they are just on the verge of figuring it out. They, they all tell me it's it's run by geniuses and I just need to sit tight and wait for it all to be revealed with with bed bath and beyond or beyond now I guess it is what what's interesting there is this speculation about whether or not we are about to have this huge shift in All those people who replaced their appliances during COVID, for example. Well, the good news is, is we've learned so much about, well, it turns out the appliances actually aren't very well made these days. So you're (laughs) going to need to replace them much sooner than you used to. And so maybe that's going to be great news for Beyond (laughs) and everyone's going to need a new washing machine because the one they bought during COVID is already breaking. And they think maybe that's going to be enough to save them. That and all these new uh, executives that are coming on board, We'll, we'll see.
1: It's it is kind of crazy that we're still we're still talking about Can Bed Bath and Beyond make it even after all <laughs> these years. It's like,
0: well, I mean it's it's sad in a way that what so many people loved about that store, you just wish you could just bring that back. Just bring yeah. back these wildly crowded stores, towels packed up to the ceiling and uh, and all these great kitchen gadgets and that would be enough to save it, but I don't know if that's what people are looking for in 2024. Moving on, maybe something that they're looking for is shopping malls? I'm not sure. (laughs) There's a big story about whether IKEA can save the shopping mall. Malls have, as we know, been in steady decline in the U.S. for years now, but IKEA's convinced it can bring them back. The Swedish retailer announced a plan to spend $65 million to buy vacant malls and convert them into multifunctional spaces that include co-working, food halls, and Children's play areas. Now, Haley, you have a small child. Would you, would you, eagerly bring them to uh, to an IKEA anchored mall with where Nordic cuisine was being served?
1: It is interesting because I was reading BBC had this article about um, Gen Alpha, actually. So we're we're even looking beyond Gen Z to even younger, and about how they love the mall. Teens in Manhattan are having their parents take them to New Jersey so they can go hang out at the mall. And I and part of that was that they don't have many places these days for teens and tweens. So I think this IKEA plan. I mean, maybe it's a long game where they're going to be sowing the seeds of of customers um, ten years down the line.
0: That's so interesting. But that's but that's part of the finding is that there aren't a lot of places for, as you said teens and tweens to, to gather. Truthfully, even with a lot of these co-working spaces, part of why they think that's the thing to do is that with so many people working from home, there seem to be all of these research studies that say that people who are working from home are just looking for someplace else to, to go and, and get some human interaction.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, because if, I mean, I live in a suburb, Um, if you think of IKEA, they're usually on the outskirts of cities. They're not usually kind of in the heart of a a shop, but like a a consuming, you know, consumer area. So I think it's interesting to think of putting an IKEA kind of in the middle of a town in, you know, a former Sears or whatever it might be, um, where you do already have the infrastructures there, the, the traffic patterns, the parking lots. All of that is is kind of theirs, just to to remodel and um, settle in. But yeah, I, I do wonder if it attracts um, a more casual consumer, where it's not like, okay, we're going out to the IKEA. You know, it's 30, 40 minutes away. It's like, oh no, it's across the street from the grocery store. Is kind of an interesting. Um, it's a different pattern for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting as as IKEA has already announced their their huge plan to spend. $2 billion dollars in the US to really grow business and grow awareness of IKEA. It seems that they've been working on this smaller space model and they think they can plug this in easily to, to various shopping malls and they, they they have tremendous resources and right now there's so many malls and, and areas of the country that are just priced so low that they think why not take a chance and, and move into some of these spaces. For much less rent than they would have been paying, I wonder if it if it just revitalizes areas. I mean, they're looking at San Francisco keenly, and we've we've talked in the past about how downtown San Fran needs all the help it can get right now at the at the moment to turn itself around. And IKEA seems game to to try.
1: It is kind of funny to think of IKEA as being like the furniture store, the food hall, the children's playground. But um, (laughs) I, I would certainly I would certainly check it out. It sounds it sounds like a really interesting concept.
0: Moving on, we're going to talk about trend life cycles, which seem to be speeding up, Hayley.
1: Yeah, calling a home's kitchen outdated used to mean that a space had been renovated maybe a decade or longer ago. But according to a story that was in Curbed last week, the shelf life has drastically shortened. With brokers saying that kitchens completed as recently as 2020 are starting to look old.
0: So this is one where I I really do want to hear from designers on this story. It was it was it was interesting in the story they talked about is is part of the challenge that because of covid we just couldn't get things for a while and so when we finally did get them they were two or three years old in some cases and so they're not looking as fresh but your feeling if i understand you is that perhaps instagram is playing a big role and people just getting tired of images more quickly what what's your what's your thinking
1: I think so. I mean, I think, you know, with Instagram, you're seeing um, images that get circulated and circulated. And, you know, at first, like you think this is beautiful. This is what I want my home to look like. But then, I mean, as we know very well, it it takes a long time to renovate a kitchen, especially if we're talking about um, a, a new build. I mean, you're talking about years down the line. So I think by the time that things are actually getting finished, people are like, oh, there's, you know, I'm seeing different things online now. Yeah. And I think things are just a lot more specific than they used to be where like in this article, they mentioned like it's like Navy cabinets with brass hardware and that sort of a thing where that's that's a really specific look, you know, too. So I think, you know, if you're talking about 10 years ago, it was just like white kitchens. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't down to the the fixtures and the um, shaker style cabinetry, that sort of a thing. Whereas now I also think people are maybe becoming a little more educated about design terminology and more specific looks, which is is good. But yeah, I can see how that would also translate to people getting burnt out a little more quickly.
0: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I thought it was interesting, too, how they pointed out how the dupes you know how we love to talk about the dupes on Mm the show the dupes are coming so much faster that 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 things are getting knocked off more quickly and they're showing up in places and so people again feel like they oh i've already seen that but i also think the kitchens often were, were so specific Either they were trying to be very edgy, or they were all trying to be stainless steel, and and people were trying to make a big statement. And it seems like maybe making big statements are part of what makes it feel dated and uh, and, and old more more quickly. And to your point, maybe if it was more neutral and white, maybe it wouldn't (laughs) seem as dated so quickly.
1: Maybe, but then I feel like there was also a report that said, like, your white kitchen looks old, you know, (laughs) like, or like. And the report that was bringing housing prices down, right? Yeah, it was like your white kitchen is like not going to sell your, you know, sell. It's like, oh, okay, Um, But I think it does like drive home that homeowners like you do have to kind of it needs to be something that really brings them joy and that they love and they want to live in for a long time. Um, because yeah, I mean, if you're going off of something that you, you know, is, is really trend driven, then like, yeah, it probably is going to look dated, but if you have a good designer and you really come up with something that feels timeless to you, like that's what a good designer can do. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a bummer, especially, I mean, all of the examples in this piece were like super high end developments. Um, in New York city and um, just absolutely gorgeous kitchens that people would like, you know, die to have. And then people are are buying them and moving them and just ripping them out. So it it is, to me, it was kind of a downer of a story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it, it is kind of a downer of a story. And, and again, I, I know that I know that so many designers hate that they hate coming in and seeing something newly installed and, and feeling like it has to be replaced. So I, I don't know I don't know what the answer is to to make it seem more timeless or uh, to your point, we just need to settle down and, <laughs> and relax and let that kitchen age like a fine wine.
1: Get some patina on those brass handles.
0: Yes, yes. They're going to look so much different in a few years. Just give it a little time. All right, that's it for the news, but there's plenty more to check out on businessofhome.com including a look at Chip and Joanna Gaines' Magnolia Network and a roundup of March's can't-miss design events. We'll be back in a minute, but first, a quick break. Demonstrating its commitment to healthy communities, the design industry, and the environment, Lloy recently launched Love Leloy. The three pillars of Love Leloy guide the company's efforts to create safe and responsibly made products through the supply chain, foster safe and loving homes, and remove barriers to design-oriented careers. Learn more at LaloyRugs.com and follow them on Instagram and TikTok at LaloyRugs for the latest news. So, today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kit Kemp, the founder of the Kit Kemp Design Studio, and also the founder and creative director of the Firmdale Hotel Group. And I should say for listeners that we're actually in the Warren Street Hotel, your newest creation, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. You and I last spoke on the podcast, unbelievably, back in 2019. Whoa. Yes, exactly. And you had... You had promised that you were never going to open another hotel in New York because the Whitby had just... You, and, and how could one how could one top the Whitby, was the thinking at the time, right? What could she possibly do to top that? But Warren Street was in your mind, at least, back then, yes?
2: Well, it was in, in our mind. Well, I mean, in my <laughs> husband's mind, let's put it that way. Because literally, when I finished doing the Whitby, I said, that's it. No more in New York. I've had it. I'm up to here. And here I am in Tribeca at the Warren Street Hotel. And you know what? It has been a journey and a half, but we're here. It's always that race to the finish, but now we're over that that finishing line and I'm (laughs) loving it.
0: (laughs) So 2019, six months after we speak, the whole world shuts down and uh, all, all sorts of crazy things happen. What happened for you?
2: It was a terrifying time for my husband and myself because we have about 10 hotels and literally hospitality was hung out to dry and there was no help. We were either too big or too little to get any help, but we had teams that we had built up and our staff We are nothing without the people that work for us. They are so important, our craftspeople, but also all our teams and all our training. And we had to let so many of them go. And uh, we didn't know where the next sort of dime was coming from. And suddenly my design team, you know, I'm being asked, hey, you've got to get rid of them. We just can't keep them. And I said, no way, Jose. (laughs) We're going somewhere. So, you know, that was when we started to do the collaborations with Annie Selke, for example, which was absolutely a lifesaver. Spode, we started to work for. Uh, We also had a number of private uh, commissions, uh, one namely in Westchester, um, also doing very large projects in Barbados. And, you know, I never stopped working. But at the same time, we just had on Slow Burn the Warren Street Hotel and um, we were going to do it. It's rather like running the marathon. You just know you're going to finish it. You just don't know when.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you really had no idea at first when you'd be able to come back to this project. And so you... You fortunately had other commissions that that took you elsewhere. That
2: tied it as over actually. And uh, so I found it a a really fascinating time, but also it just gave me an extra amount of time to be creative. Mm. And I think so many interior designers can be very efficient, but they actually Aren't artistic in what they're doing and so I had time to actually talk to my craftspeople, talk to my artists, commission a number of my favourite people to do projects which excited them and we had time to complete them and now it's just wonderful to talk to them and see them and unwrap them and put them in place because there's a, it's a new build. The outside of the building is bright blue. We decided on bright blue in the middle of the pandemic. My husband came came into my design office and said, what color are we gonna paint the outside of this building? You know, it's a metal, so, Um, and, We'd done a forest dark green. We'd done just sort of dark grey, and it was so miserable at that time. We just said, "Let's do it bright blue. It's just going to feel like a summer's day every time we just look at this building and bright yellow at the top." And and that's how it is. So when you come into Warren Street, there's no mistaking our <laughs> hotel.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it's easy to spot on the on the block, as you say, and uh, and and it's and it's so bright and and cheerful, and. During the pandemic, everyone, everyone thought, oh, hospitality will never come back after this. Oh, the, the whole world will be changed after this. And then once people were allowed to come back out again, of course, everyone couldn't wait to travel. Everyone couldn't wait to stay in a hotel, right? So what did you find felt different, what, what what seemed different to you when everyone could come back out and come and stay?
2: You couldn't just decide that people were gonna come and stay. There had to be that little bit extra. Mm. And it's been so exciting to do our salons in a sense we have our workshops so people that I've enjoyed working with like S.J. Axelby who is a wonderful uh, portrait artist but not of people of rooms Hmm. and she illustrates rooms and so she's come along and does her workshop Martha Freud who does our ceramics for us or a number of ceramics she's doing a workshop Epi Thompson who uh, always works with embroidery she has done that Lewis Miller who's our florist he has done work shops. Then we've had writing sounds with people like Bonnie Garmus and Trini Goodall who's very well known in the UK so it's been so exciting and now we've got things like sound bars where there are incredible sounds and noises made with the tops of uh, bottles and things like this (laughs) I mean it's just experimental now and I love the fact that as a guest you're part of this creative community which you can dip in or dip out of as you please but what I have found with our hotels is that we want to actually take part in these things. Guests give more than a a hotel bedroom. First of all, I want the hotel bedrooms to be just that level higher, just for the joy of it, just to make them. I don't want them to be that dog box off uh, a lobby, which might look a little bit glam and then every room is the same. That is not what we're about. And it's not (laughs) what my team are about. And I love the fact that my team one day might be designing tableware. The next day it will be reconfiguring different textiles, then doing a whole textile collection. And I want my team to be that versatile and that interested.
0: Well, so how do you think about wearing the multiple hats of running your own design studio and then being the creative director for this hotel group?
2: Well, I think it's a great introduction. (laughs) I've got the carpet. I've got the lights. I've got everything there. It's just how I pull it all together. And in a sense, there should be that congruent thread and because mm. it is just our view of my design studio there is that thread that goes through it and it's amazing how Annie Selke's rugs will work so well with Christopher Farr's fabric um, with uh, the GP and J Baker and Cravat thing that we're just doing at the moment yes. and how my love of, of art and my favourite sort of ceramic artists and people that we're finding all the time like Carol Wainwright who's in her 90s and still Still making the most wonderful wonky pots <laughs> and things, and, and Colin Millington, who's doing his wool work, you know, I mean, he's now being started to be bought by museums. Uh, finding the African artist called Sanega Teha from Uganda and his wonderful beadwork within huge tapestries. Hmm. I mean, that in itself, I mean, we're so lucky that we've actually got somewhere that we can hmm. exhibit it, that we can hang it, that people can enjoy, and uh, that whole organic process of putting it together
0: and so much of so much of the art that fills the hotel seems so personal to to you you seem to have deep relationships with the with the artisans and and often have have been to visit or they've been to visit you and and so it i mean it it seems almost an extension of your own personal collections in in a way
2: well i really quite like eccentric people (laughs) (laughs) and um, some of the artists that i know and i love uh, are quite eccentric and they're not all young, hey. I mean, Mimi w- was well into her 80s. I mean, when we were right. doing the Bergdorf-Goodman loft, we brought her over and Mimi in her all her clothes that she would make herself, like <laughs> great big felt skirts with had fish all over them. And, you know, if she was standing somewhere in the street, someone would come up and say, oh, come and have cocktails with us. I mean, you know, you could write a book about these people and they're not revered as much as they should be. I feel that so many artists that have spent their whole life creating beautiful things actually are are almost forgotten or or left to one side or maybe just called decorative. Um, And to me, there's no difference between high art, low art, craft and and uh, embroidery. I mean, they're all creative things and some people actually have just got more talent than others.
0: Well, and have you found that having artisans' works in your hotel has brought recognition to them? Has it brought commissions for them have people asked you uh, about a certain piece and then wanted to, to oh yeah work? they
2: don't just ask me they'll ask and find out <laughs> and go directly to them which is great but of course then they start getting so well known that i can't afford to use them anymore so <laughs> <laughs> i have to find somebody else right. but i love that yeah and you know we always say who these people are you i think you'll find a lot of designers are very very secretive about where they get it how they source it whatever uh we've been a, a lot more open
0: well it's a wonderful way to launch your new fabric collections because, I mean, it's extraordinary to get to see them in in use. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the headboards, the window treatments. mannequins, I mean, the, the whole thing, it's it, it really- But it's
2: also about texture, Dennis. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that you just don't want to have linens. You want to have fabulous weaves. You want to have weights that are going to last and and serve their time and not look old. And I think it's all that different balance and scale of texture and weights of fabrics and how you use them and the warp and the weft of the weave. And and um, I mean, some of the stripes that we've just done for Kravitz are fabulous and they are going to be classics. Okay, I call them fabulous. Maybe I should be a little bit more <laughs> modest, but you know what? They are amazing and I'm going to want to work with those now but also in 10 years time. They're not mm. going to date. They they there, some of them are real classics.
0: Let's go back to talking about the the fun and the adventure of of opening this hotel. So, it took a lot longer perhaps than you than you thought it would originally for, mm-hmm. right, for obviously a, a host of reasons. Um, besides the timing, were there big surprises? Were there, were there unexpected things? Because as you said earlier, it's a new build mm-hmm. and that often can present its own set of <laughs> challenges and, and discoveries, perhaps.
2: Yes. Um, actually, you know, uh, there wasn't a sort of, uh, it, it's 12 floors. So of course, when we were looking out of the windows and looking at glancing view, we could see the Hudson. And that was amazing. You know, <laughs> hey, it isn't just, uh, you know, sort of uh, the Woolworth building and things like that. We can see the river. I mean, it's <laughs> so exciting um, to to know all that actually. So, and you never know the exact amount of light that's coming. Yeah. In because there are always sort of tarpaulins flapping in the wind and all kinds of things. So actually, to just get that feel of the of the the dynamic of the building, and then the hallways. The hallways can can be sometimes a struggle on making them look interesting and getting uh, interesting artworks. Getting my wallpapers to work, getting my Wilton carpets that we designed a couple of years ago finally in place, you know. And when I've had my design teams and we're sitting down, it's we're not doing it all in one go. We're putting it away. We're bringing it back, back out again. I mean, the drawing down, the drawing room downstairs, that sort of library area. We'd look at it and then we'd put it away and we'd say, No, no, no. We can do this. We can do this. And you build on it, mm. and it's the excitement that finally. It the end, you say, Yes, we did get it right. It was great to get that <laughs> 50s weird shape of chair and cover it in an old crawl work. You know, it, it did kind of work. I'm glad we didn't put a pattern carpet there. I'm glad that we just used seagrass. And uh, it's fabulous to see it when it finally goes in and you think, Yeah, hey, what? It works. <laughs> <You."> <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, so, so now. Now that you've done the, the third hotel in New York. The third new build. The third, right.
2: Yeah, they're all new builds.
0: So now, I mean, is this it? Can you imagine never again? It,
2: hey, I, I, this new is, is a family business, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got children which are saying, come on, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. Uh, it's not just uh, me and the older generation. So who knows? I mean, it's never going to stop and, and we're not, we, we don't intend to stop. I mean, we want a business that goes on to another generation if we possibly can.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about yeah. the family business, <laughs> right? Because yeah. some, uh, some, some younger people have come up in the organization and, uh, and and some of them are family. So tell me how that feels for you and, and tell me what it's made possible.
2: Well, I'm lucky that um, our girls want to be part of mm. our business. And uh, Willow studied architecture at um, Cambridge. She's very clever. And then she went over to Dusseldorf and, um, and studied sculpture with Tony Cragg, And that's how we met him actually. Mm. And so she got an MA in sculpture and she's terrific at designing mm. furniture Minnie went to Leeds. She did graphic design, was good at everything except graphic design, Um, (laughs) but um, she loves color. She's very, very, uh, she's an exciting designer and has built up her own business as well. Mm. And also is designing wallpapers for other companies. So yeah.
0: So is that right? She's, she's designing wallpapers for... for yeah,
2: a... she's designing wallpapers for Mind the Gap, which is a Transylvanian company. Really? Yeah. I mean, I just thought they had vampires over there, but there's an awful <laughs> lot not... more going on.
0: <laughs> but there's wallpaper as well.
2: Yeah, there huh. is. And uh, they're her. doing a lot of hand drawing. And so it's fabulous for her to okay. actually be involved in
0: that. Let's talk about the design studio because you've got a lot of other projects besides the hotel chain going on. Right. And so you talked about all this incredible product development, but also interiors projects and
2: yeah we do I mean it's always difficult to talk about them because uh, there are NDAs they're and things hush, like hush. that and I they're know. very hush yes. hush and I really feel for other designers <laughs> because um, I mean we're lucky that we have the hotels but um, there are so many designers who are doing the most amazing work but it will never be seen it's always yeah. behind closed yeah. doors and I really sort of feel for them and I think it would be great if we could get get togethers and we could all just sneakily have a look (laughs) at each other's work, and it's never going to get out of that room. I love that idea. Yeah, Yeah. I really do. Because you know what? There's always a big hoo-ha about fashion. There's always a big hoo-ha about art. But there isn't about interior design. And to me, it's underrated. Um, I mean, Robert Kime would always say it's not uh, rocket science, but hey... It's so important if you get up every morning and you look around you, and you've got joyous things around you, you've got perfectly wonderful design, and your home is somewhere which you know, makes you feel really good when you just put your key in the door. That is worth so much to me. That is what I call real luxury.
0: Well, it's so interesting that you say that. And I was talking to uh, an architect and a designer named Suchi Reddy just recently, who has been studying for many years, neuroaesthetics and, and studying the science around how great design elevates you and lifts your mood and makes you feel happier and more Confident, and maybe it makes you look thinner too. Why not? <laughs> um, but yes. but that that there's there's real science behind it, and she was talking about getting letters from clients who had lived in spaces that she had designed years ago, and and the people were just. Of course their lives have been transformed by being in these wonderful spaces how could one not be happy in a in a room that you've designed and and that's... do you know
2: it's such a wonderful thing because sometimes when the project is immediately completed yeah. and your 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 client goes in and he's getting used to the place or she's getting used to the place it's not only then, it's when you get a letter like 18 months later, which I did from one of the clients. And, and he said, you know, we've traveled all the way around the world, we've been everywhere. And yet I've come back home to this house that you have designed. And I say to myself, why did we ever leave? You have just created a really beautiful home for us. Yeah. And I, I that was the most beautiful email that i had ever got actually and and one that i i just thought you know what this is i'm going to read this when i'm feeling really fed up about things (laughs) 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 when everything's going wrong because it then makes you realize why we do it yes yeah
0: yes do your design clients do they come to you wanting what they've seen in the hotel or does that just spark an idea for them but really they want something Very different. I mean, they're not coming to you for beige, I assume. No,
2: they're not. No, no, no. They're not because they're gonna be really disappointed. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, no, there is a certain handwriting and signature with our work. Mm. And so there is no point if you've got a husband who wants to live like a monk and just wants to have white or be minimalist. And so we look at the property, we look at whatever it is that they're doing and just put our take on it. And then of course, it's, it's a consideration and mm. there'll always be two or three things just to look at. So I want my clients to choose, you know, they, I can put them in the driving seat or they should be feeling that they're in the driving seat. I can right. draw them towards what I feel that they should be going towards, but it's always a conversation. And in that way, then you're never not learning, you're learning all the time. I find it so fascinating and I can be taught by the client and equally, I hope they also will will get will find a, a lot of inspiration from what we're doing. And, and I do think that if you're inspired by what you're surrounded by, it makes you feel good. Colour makes you feel happy. You know, it spices up your life.
0: Mm. So... Tell me how big the design studio is now. How many, how many folks we have on staff?
2: Oh, we've only got 12. I mean, we're very small because I don't want the tail to wag the dog. And otherwise, if it's too big, then, you know, you then start getting departments. And um, I have a great fear of that. And I, I really don't like HR or personnel. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, and so, and so many designers, especially big name designers, say that the, the real problem is the client wants you at the end of the day. Right? And you might have an incredible team. You might even have your family as part of the team, but they still, at least initially, want an awful lot of your time.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, if they're paying for it, they will. Yeah. Mm.
0: And so that's part of what you recognize and thus you're not looking to build a hundred person firm.
2: You know, the funny thing is that um, with with what we're doing, it is always moving along. Mm. And uh, what I find with my teams are that they get into a way of doing things and then they don't move out of it. And y- you, you can never get complacent like that. It doesn't matter year by year. You're slowly edging, you're changing. There's just things moving all the time. And um, I, I find that you can get a very sort of suburban or provincial outlook if you're not careful, and, and that's not what I'm aiming for. Mm. It's all about style. It's, it's, it's all about just feeling. I love tradition. I mean, I, I do love all those things of the past, but I don't want it a pastiche of the past. It has to be saying now, and uh, that that's what keeps me going.
0: And is that part of what working with artists and artisans helps you to do to 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 see what they're doing that's new and fresh in their work
2: yes it is and um i mean we're just very democratic we'll have the the youngest student or someone where i've seen their final degree show and i'm thinking that's good work. And I can put their work beside a very recognized artist. And mm. I feel that that makes my interiors lively. I mean, I've been to into rooms where they have just, you know, just one sort of, you know, Utrillo next door to a Picasso next door to a Matisse. And, you know, it looks dead it doesn't look good at all because you have to have just like texture in a room you have to have the oil painting you have to give it space then you need a watercolor so again it gives it light and dark and tone and shadow and uh, I mean I love to go to different museums and see the way that they're curated Mm. how they hang them how when you turn the corner you see something else which just is jaw-dropping and there's a whole art to that
0: before we wrap up, I wonder if again thinking about hospitality and and thinking about how so much of the world has has changed and and maybe you don't feel it has changed that much. I don't I don't know, but do you do you feel that you're providing a different kind of experience for people? Do you feel that people are coming with a different expectation? I mean, what do you think has meaningfully changed in the world of Accommodating people in hotels?
2: Well, to me, they've always been very sophisticated because when uh, I can have conversations with our clients about, you know, the most bizarre artists and people and uh, uh, various pieces of furniture that I didn't know about, Mm. and they're extremely knowledgeable. And it's always that dialogue. There's always going to be the dialogue which is so important between the guest and I think the designer. I'm not talking now about the teams like the waiters and the waitresses and the people. It's about design. It's about how the interiors work. I mean, there's all the technical aspects which are great, but it's also then just taking it on to another level just for the joy of it, just to to say, Look at it in this way, you know, see how you can play with the interiors, see how it's gonna look on a, a, a on a day where it's very thundery outside. I wanna have my interiors working so that they work four seasons a year. And I don't know if that's changed, but the way that I achieve it probably has changed. Mm. And my clients are sort of growing with me and I'm gaining new ones along the way, probably losing some also, but... Um, It's just always about the dialogue and I wouldn't know whether it's getting better, whether it's getting worse. All I know is that actually you can be as specific as you want to be now and there will be a hotel and somewhere that you can stay and you can look it up and you can find out that this is the hotel and you can hopefully, when you go there, meet like-minded people or even if you don't meet them, you might just look at them across the room. You know, there's always that feeling of... Uh, There should always be that feeling of, oh, who am I going to meet? Who am I going to see? What's it going to be like? Yeah, just that unknown. There always should be that unknown, I think, also about coming to visit a hotel.
0: And what do you most want people to know about what to expect from coming to one of your hotels?
2: Well, I don't really want them to know too much at all, actually. It's better if they don't, yeah. because it should be that excitement. And, and uh, if you come in and it's unexpected, if there's something which gives you just a kind of little jolt, something which shows that you're still alive, <laughs> or if I can see someone looking at something and just being transported in a way, if only for a second in that day, you know you're entering into another world and it should be full of whimsy full of adventure and bring a smile to your face i mean it, it should be whimsical
0: wow it's uh, it's thrilling to be here and and it's it's a, such an enormous accomplishment i know many years of of hard work and uh, and a lot of emotional ups and downs uh, no doubt but it's uh, it's an incredible accomplishment so congratulations
2: Thank you so much, Dennis.
0: And and thank you for letting me come and and chat with you about it.
2: No, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Come again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're back. We're getting to the end of the show here. But before we go, we'd like to take a second to highlight anything going on in the industry that might have caught our eye. Haley, what caught your eye?
1: What caught my eye was um, this company, RenewCell, um, which was a kind of industry first. It was a textile-to-textile recycling plant. So, like, H&M and Levi's were partnering with this brand to to turn their returned textiles into new fabric and um, threads and all of these kind of items to be reused. It had a huge presence at Heim Textile last month, like front and center and the sustainability or the, the trend pavilion. Um, and they went bankrupt this week and shuttered their doors. What? But I found kind of shocking. I was like, oh, six weeks ago, They had this huge booth, and you know, there were videos of their process, and um, yeah, they shut their doors. They said that demand was lower than expected, and they weren't able to raise funding to keep it going. They also, I guess, they weren't controlling the entire process, so it was taking a lot of time to optimize, and basically they ran out of money. But yeah, that was something that I, I saw this week that I was kind of bummed out about.
0: So A, do you think that they spent all the money on the darn booth at Heimtex, <laughs> and and then they, they have nothing left? But B, does it, does it say something about how the whole recyclability issue is resonating, or not resonating, perhaps?
1: I think that it's a very expensive process, from what I understand. And I think... I don't know. The more I learn about it, the more I think that brands are probably just going to have to do this themselves, um, like your H&Ms and Levi's. I'm not sure what the home industry equivalent of that was. And that was why they were at Heim Textile, was they were trying to make a push into the home category. But yeah, I think I think it does kind of take brands figuring out these these supply chains on their own, because I think for other people to do that work for you is is pretty expensive.
0: Yeah, well, it seems like we've got a lot to learn in that space, but uh, this isn't auspicious that uh, <laughs> that one month they're at a big show touting uh, touting the possibilities of this recycling, and uh, and then the next they're uh, they're in bankruptcy. I'm I'm sorry about that.
1: What caught your eye this week, Dennis?
0: Uh, what caught my eye is uh, one of my favorites is coming back in New York City design on a dime. One of the most. What, what do we want to call Design on a Dime? Is it? It's not a show house. It's it's like this big design event where all these designers come in and create spaces. Vignettes,
1: with, yeah. Right. It's fun, but they're shoppable.
0: They're shoppable. They're
1: shoppable, which is a fun, a fun difference from a show house.
0: Absolutely, and it's uh, and people get to be super creative and bring things from the thrift shops, of course, and. Um, there were some, there were some really fun uh, designs in the in the past, and a lot of Miles Red and Nick Olson always do something fun and uh, colorful. So it's a uh, it's a really fun event. April twenty fifth, it's going to be in New York City, and uh, it's it's one of those for out of towners.
1: Make the trip,
0: right? You want to come to NYC for Design on a Dime because it is a fun one and uh, raising money for Housing Works, which is always a good cause. Haley, I want to thank you so much for stepping in today and uh, co-hosting the show with me.
1: Yes, I'm glad I could be here, but uh, wishing Fred a, a speedy recovery and a, a return to the mic next week.
0: Well, we're all wishing Fred well, but uh, but we were delighted to get to spend time with you and I thank you so much. All right, that's all the time we have today. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep up with the latest news, browse job listings, or take a workshop, visit us online at businessofhome.com. If you want to get in touch with the show, write to us at podcast at businessofhome.com. This episode was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke and edited by Michael Castaneda. I'm Dennis Scully. Have a great weekend, and we'll be back with you on Monday.